Welcome back to the Strong Mamas Podcast, a mind, body, nutrition, and fitness podcast for women living with Hashimoto's and PCOS. I am your host, Natalie Guevara, certified nutrition and fitness professional with a specialty in female metabolism, hormones, and functional nutrition. I have dedicated not only my career, but my life to understanding the unique needs of women dealing with thyroid dysfunction and PCOS after my own journey and struggle. I'm an advocate for health, fitness, nutrition, lifestyle, and mindset to help you find freedom and confidence in your body and in your life. This podcast is the place for knowledge, conversation, community, and inspiration. Let's dive right in together. All right, everyone, welcome back for another episode. We have an exciting treat today. We've got a special guest on um, that we're going to have a a good conversation with. So Jess, I'll let you go ahead and and start us off. Just jump right in and let us know who you are, what you do, and, and how you got to do what you do. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you. Um, and hopefully provide some value or insight or resources to your audience. Um, so my name is Jess Marcus. I'm a therapist and life coach for high achieving women. Um, and that's exactly what I do. One-on-one in group spaces, I help high achieving women not just have a life that looks good, but also feels good too in a healthy, sustainable way. And um, my background is not the most linear <laughs> as I would think most entrepreneurs is not either. Um, so I have a background as a therapist. I have a graduate degree and a licensure in mental health and trauma work. And I taught and published research, but I paid for all my education working in a marketing firm. And I worked my way up pretty high into the company. And so I always had this entrepreneurial spirit, was exposed to personal growth. And I even had hired my own life coaches and business coaches. So I kind of simultaneously held the worlds of therapy and coaching, but kind of jumped from one world to the other. And then in 2016, really started kind of bridging the two. And then I started my company in 2017 and have been coaching ever since. So do you only coach now or do you do private therapy as well? Right now I only coach. I was doing therapy and consulting and teaching and just really kind of staying active in one capacity or another in the therapy world um, up until COVID. And then um, in 2020, when um, COVID happened, I relocated to the South and my licenses, I'm from Philadelphia, um, my licenses in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, so I could no longer practice, um, which at that point was fine. I, I'm just getting creative in ways that I can contribute to that world now, um, but I do exclusively um, coach at this point. That's a pretty interesting tra- transition because, um, you know, there, there are schools of thought around, you know, there's coaches that kind of breach the, the, the gap in between coaching and therapy. Um, there are some similarities, but definitely a really, really different world. So how difficult have you found it to navigate the fact that without a license, you can't really do therapy with folks? Yeah, so it's so funny that we're having this conversation because I literally was interviewed on a podcast yesterday to talk about this. Um, (laughs) And I did a whole story on my Instagram because people were like, wait, what is the difference? Um, So for me, it was hard because I could do both. 
but I had to make sure that I was operating within my scope of practice and the type of relationship and container the client paid for, which was a coach, not a therapist. Just because I could do it didn't mean that I should be doing it in that relationship. And so that was the hard part for me, um, really differentiating the roles and being mindful of the type of interventions and topics and clients I was working with. Once I did that, now it's easy. Now I feel like I can stay in my lane. Um, I will say that my therapy background definitely does inform my coaching. And I do borrow some interventions and techniques and skill sets from that industry. But at the end of the day, when you get deep into the work, coaching is a practice based off of therapy. So there is going to be some overlap if you are doing it in an evidence-based way, not just sharing your feelings or, you know, teaching something that you're just regurgitating. If, if you are coaching yes. in terms of the art and practice of coaching, there's some therapeutic flair to it. Yeah, I think that's really important for people to recognize. I know even in the work that I do, there's a lot of folks that come into the coaching container with the expectation that they are just going to be given this to-do list or, you know, for nutrition, like where's my meal plan? Where's my step-by-step -step thing? And that's just not what coaching is for. And if you're, you know, just for looking from a financial perspective, if that's what you're paying for, I'm always like, Hey, go look at YouTube because coaches are so much more valuable than that. Well, you got to think about it. If you just needed the plan, you wouldn't need a coach. We live in a world where information is accessible and a lot Everywhere. of it is free. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not the issue. And it's yeah. the coach's job to help you identify what are the barriers, problem solve, support you as you work through the barriers and create change that's meaningful and sustainable. Um, at least that's my personal bias and framework of a coach's role. Exactly. And, you know, helping you uncover the barriers that you didn't even realize you had is, is a big piece, which is where we kind of get into the realm of, of, you know, staying in our scope of practice and not going too far down the therapy, the therapy realm, because that's a big issue for a lot of folks as well. Yeah. And coaching is unregulated. So I don't want people to be scared. I just think it's important to be mindful, right? Like you're right. not going to get in trouble if someone brings up something about being depressed or having a panic right. attack or shares with you that they got drunk or maybe that they had a traumatic event in their childhood, like that's going to come up. 70% of adults have trauma histories. And now, especially in the last like decade, anxiety and depression is extremely on the rise. So mm -hmm. the chances of you dealing with someone who has a little bit of a mental health flair, probably high. So don't be scared of that. Just be mindful of it. Now, if they cross the threshold into active substance use or suicidality or psychosis or manic episodes or their functioning is at risk, they're going to lose their kids or on the you know, bridge of divorce, like they're going to lose their job, then maybe it might be important to bring someone else in. But right. um, you know, I, I, I think a coach's scope of practice is so gray and vague because our industry is only 30 to 40 years old. It's extremely new and it's unregulated. So I think that we still have a while until scope of practice is clear, standards of practice are clear, a code of ethics is designed and there's some rules and regulations. So just enjoy the freedom and flexibility while we have it now. <laughs> 
Well, well, yeah. And for those that are like looking into coaching, I mean, understand the value that you are actually able to get from having a coach like that. And I don't know, um, I'm a huge advocate of therapy. I've been in therapy for over a decade. Um, but you know, from my lens, like I can't reach out to my therapist anytime I need support. Whereas, you know, my coaching client, we have a very close relationship where we're in constant communication and there's so many micro shifts that happen throughout the process that then I'm able to witness and hold space for them. Whereas, you know, traditional therapy, you know, you see your therapist once a week, if that, and it's just a very, um, while it can be intimate, it, it's still, it's still a much more distant relationship than the traditional coaching relationship. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. Like there are pros and cons of working with each. And I actually am team work with both. I think yeah. that having, if you have the resources and the means to have a therapist and a coach simultaneously do that. I think that right. they could really complement each other, but yeah, therapists traditionally are relational in nature. They're more, um, you know, we take a holistic perspective. We're looking at the biology. We're looking at your environment. We're looking at your past and your present, right? We're, and, and we have the time and space to kind of work with you on a longer basis for coaching. It's more solution focused. It's more behaviorally focused that there is room for self-disclosure we're focusing on results quickly and you get access, different type of access to a coach than you ever would with a therapist. Right. So if that's something that would benefit you, then coaching would be an amazing help for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from, you know, my coaching, coaching nutrition and fitness, I don't even think that I started my true transformation until I was working with, with both, um, from, from that space. I have a history of disordered eating. And while my therapist was huge and, and getting past that, you know, actually having a coach to, to hold space and support me and not just the accountability piece was huge in in making that change in my life for sure. Yeah. Well, I think there's like, at least what I've seen and have heard from clients is sometimes there's this disconnect between mentally understanding something and having the theory and learning the skills and this like accountability piece to integrating it and actually having the ability and wisdom to utilize the awareness, utilize the skill set, utilize the theories that you're learning from the podcast, from the books, from the therapy, from the best friends from the conferences, from the trainings, from the certifications, all the things I'm, I'm talking about the women I work with who are high achievers and do all the things right. Or learn all the things, but then there's this piece to actually doing it, integrating it, applying it so that you have access to it when you need it. And I think sometimes therapy, this is a generalization. (laughs) Sometimes therapy misses the mark on crossing that bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree. It's the same, you know, with, with new, with licensed nutritionists and dietitians, they're so good at giving you the resources and all of that, but it's the implementation that is just not there. Um, so you mentioned, you know, your, your clientele is high achieving women and you just said it again, what is a high achieving woman? That can mean a lot of different things. (laughs) Um, for me and the type of women I work with, it's, you, typically women who are high performers. So they work really hard. They are very engaged in their relationships. They take care of their health. They, you know, 
typically are educated and or have worked their way up the corporate ladder. Maybe they're in a leadership role, whether that be in their church, their family, their jobs, their communities. Um, and they have this internalized pressure to perform and be great. And sometimes what ends up happening is that that adaptive demeanor and state of being and mindset serves them at one point. It contributes to their success, if we're being honest. But then when they engage in that chronically over time, it actually becomes maladaptive and starts to take away from their success internally. It breaks down their well-being, their mental and emotional wellness. Um, their, it rubs against their relationships. It, it takes away from their self-care. Their health starts to deteriorate. And they're just not content, joyful, happy, or fulfilled in their lives, either personally or professionally. And so on paper, you would never know that because they're the leaders and they go to the yoga class and they read the books and they volunteer and they have a great relationship and they have this degree and great job and kids and family and house. But on the inside, there's this discrepancy because they're not actually enjoying the life that they've worked so hard to create. So how does one, um, so I'm just thinking, I mean, I consider my, myself high achieving. I do like to do all the things. How does someone get to the realization that they've done all the things, but they're still not living the life that they imagined that they would live by doing all the things? I think my biggest question for clients, especially in the beginning is, Think about your day, how you spent your time, who you spent it with, the tasks you did, how you feel at the end of the day, or even how you feel in the morning looking at the tasks you have to do that day. Does that bring you joy? Yeah. And a lot of times they thought it would, and it did when they checked it off the box, but then it no longer does. Yeah. They thought becoming a lawyer would make them happy. They thought getting married would make them happy. They thought buying the house, hitting six figures in their career. Like they thought hitting the goal weight would make them happy, but they're connecting their joy, happiness, and fulfillment to these external factors that may or may not be necessary to cultivating the feelings that they're craving. And so I think it's actually just looking and checking in. How do I feel? Uh, right? Because a lot of times with high achieving women, they're so cognitive where they're just thinking, what do I need to do? What should I do? What's next? Not how do I feel? Yeah. Do yeah. I want to do this? Is this in alignment with my values? Do I have the time, space, energy, or desire to do this? Yeah. Can I give myself permission to say no, <laughs> right? I, I think that it's doing less, actually. That is their work. Yeah, which can be a really hard thing, <laughs> really hard. I think um, a lot of times it's, that's much harder than actually revving it up to do more for a lot, of, a lot of these women. Yeah, yeah. And, and you hit on something, you know, there that's definitely something that will resonate with my audience, because I heard it, you know, hitting the goal weight, because that's, I get so many women that are so fixated on when I get to this pant size, when I get to this weight, my life will be what I always imagined. And the reality is, I mean, I've been doing this for a decade. It never is. It's never the answer that they're looking for. And so this type of work is so important 
because I, I don't really know anyone that wants to lose weight just because they think it's going to be fun, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We're all looking for something. So what does your process look like when a, when a client, when a prospective client reaches out to you and says, you know, I hear this, this is me, I'm raising my hand. What does it look like for you to start to make this shift and this transformation in these women's lives? So the first thing we do, I take an inside out approach personally, because I think that if we focus on behavioral interventions first, meaning changing your habits, we're putting a bandaid on a potentially broken bone. And so for me, I like to start inward first. What's actually going on? So we build some mindfulness and self-awareness. How are you feeling? What's the pain point? What, like, what have you tried? What's worked, what hasn't? Where do you think you wanna go and why? Is that even where you wanna go? <laughs> right. What are your values? Is that in alignment? Is that the reason it hasn't been working out? Um, Right. And so really creating internal awareness and discernment and clarity first, then we build skill set, usually mental and emotional skill set. Because again, I think that if we prematurely jump into action without cleaning up what got you there, your change, you, you will experience change when you change your behavior. That's just science, right? But right. it won't last the second we stop coaching. Right. So then step two is mental and emotional skill set building, right? So this is a little bit where my therapy starts to kind of come into play. Like I, I'm trained in that. So how to identify limiting beliefs and actually change them, how to upgrade your emotional set points. Um, how to self-regulate, how to communicate your needs and boundaries, right? So that's step two. And then step three is the pretty sexy part of personal growth, which is what do I do now? And it's creating new habits and behaviors and shifting things up and, and actually putting everything that we worked on into practice. And so I kind of equate it to building a house. It's like, we got to get zoning done first, <laughs> right? Then we have to build a foundation and then we can actually decorate, build up and decorate the inside. And so, so this is, this is interesting because I'm just thinking of the high achieving women that I've worked with in the nutrition space and things like that. And from their lens, you know, it's always, how can I get to the desired outcome the quickest? So what, so first of all, there's some mindset shifts that have to happen as far as the reality of how long this takes. And the second piece is how long realistically does a transformation like this take? You are a hundred percent on it, Natalie. <laughs> and, um, I think that, you know, I was on um, some coaching calls this morning and one of the coaching calls was about having compassion and patience for the process because she felt like she was regressing because she had a bad week <laughs> and it's right. like, you weren't regressing one, like having feelings and thoughts and challenges and setbacks is part of the process. And two, you're aware of it and are asking for help. That's way better than the last five years of being miserable. Like when you were onto yourself in five days, that's a hundred percent improvement, right? So I think having patience because it is not the quickest process is definitely important. And I think time-wise, at least what I've noticed is it takes anywhere from 60 to 90 days on the short end of the spectrum up to six months to a year. Is that for everyone? No, but in general, 
the quickest I've seen is again, 60 to 90 days. I've seen a year be a really powerful container. Some people need longer, but a year I've seen people change their, their entire lives. And so I'm just, I'm just thinking again of the people, the people that are, that are listening, because this is this, this is the exact same conversation with, with nutrition and fitness, right? You know, depending on your goal, depending on your history, depending on the desired outcome, you know, it, it does take from, you know, maybe three months to the really we're looking at more of a year. How do you start with the, with the woman that's sitting there going, Oh my gosh, I want to change my life. But when you tell me a year, I start to retract and, and pull back. What do you say to them in order to help just start that shift before they even get started? I do something called future pacing. Um, so basically I have them get out of their conscious part of their brain and their subconscious brain by having them fast forward to a year from now. So it's July 7th right now. I might say July 7th of next year, you and me are having our very last coaching call and you've transformed X, Y, and Z. These are the things that they said they want to feel or experience or change in their life. It's done. Check in the box. You feel blank. You look blank. You have blank. You see, feel, experience blank. Really get them into that state. Because again, what's beautiful about the subconscious mind is it doesn't know the difference between present or memory. And so we can create a vision in our head and our body will have a psychological response. And so I get them into that state to cultivate feelings of accomplishment and pride and again, whatever they're wanting to feel. And then I just ask them, okay, are we there? And they shake their head and they're smiling. And I go, what would she tell you to do right now? Because what you want three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, a decade and from now starts with the decisions you make today. Right. Yeah. Would it be worth it if July 7th of next year, you felt hadn't experienced everything you wanted? And so much like weight loss. So in my industry, women will spend literally a decade chasing the same goal because of the impatience of wanting it right now. Is that something that's similar in the type of work that you do? Is that something you see a lot? Sometimes. Um, I think what I notice more and might actually be also relevant to weight loss and nutrition is repetition. Mm -hmm. Because of the impatience, they look for the quick fix, they do it, and they experience results, but then they boomerang back and end up repeating the same cycle. Sometimes because of the skills and the awareness and the things they've learned, it's not as severe. Sometimes it's worse. Um, And so I think it's more of a repetition that I kind of notice when people really let the impatience get the best of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that definitely happens a lot in the, the health and the, the fitness space. And, uh, you guys can't see Jess right now. And we had the conversation before we got on there to make sure, you know, we're both on the same page with you guys can't see us because we just come on here and chat, but, um, you know, she'd just been to the gym. So I know that health and fitness is something that you value as a person as well. How much do you think that that plays a role in your, your clientele actually creating any type of transformation to create the role, um, that they want to live and vice versa, how does the inner work that you're, you're doing with them actually facilitate some of these, 
these goals that are around health, wellness, and fitness? Yeah. So yeah, the two really beautiful questions and I'll try to answer them the best I can. I had to reframe how I personally viewed health and fitness a few years ago, um, where I took it from this external vanity metric to this internal state of being. Yes. And, um, full disclosure that happened when my dad had cancer and I was sitting with him through his chemo treatments and his surgeries. And it was crazy that within 60 days, I went from having a healthy dad to a dying dad and witnessing how quickly his health deteriorated and how quickly, not only his life, but my life, nothing else mattered besides getting him healthy as fast as possible. Right. Nothing mattered. Nothing money, relationships, my house, and nothing mattered besides health. And that was a massive reframe for me where I was like, wow, like if I don't have my health, I don't have anything. And also, you know, I was over 30 and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm single, but I want to be a mother. And so for me, it's like, I'm going to be an older parent and I want to, you know, and I started reading about hormones and really cleaning up my health. And I just was like, wow, like, our body is such a gift and, and it's almost like we're renting it. And it's like, we have it's yeah. our responsibility to take care of it because if it deteriorates, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how much knowledge you have, how much money you have, or how beautiful your house is or relationship. Like if your body deteriorates, you have nothing that is your vessel to deliver your gifts. And so for me, I share that story because when I started taking care of my health, I realized the capacity that I had exponentially grew. I was able to serve at a deeper level. I had more energy. I was more clear with clients. I was able to just handle more and I was more present in my relationships. My, my friendships flourished my relationship with my family. I was able to be able to do more with them. And so that is the role health plays in my life. Now it's actually in my top three values um, at this point. That might shift when my circumstances shift like motherhood or whatever, you know, um, which is totally fine because values shift based on the season of your life. But health has been in the, my top three values for the last probably like four or five years now. Um, what I've seen with clients is when they start to do the work and they start to actually not just know that self-worth is important, but embody self-worth, embody self-confidence, embody wellness and alignment and authenticity and, you know, joy as important parts of being human, I do start to notice that they start to take care of their health a little more, right? They they might hydrate a little bit more. They might sleep more. They might rest and relax and play and spend time in nature and have more sex and, you know, go to a yoga class and just really honor themselves, not just intellectually, but also physically and emotionally as well. And that's a really beautiful transition. And also I can nerd out on the science, but you probably have podcast episodes that cover that when people feel better, they're healthier. Yeah. 100%. And for those that are listening and and thinking, well, how does this help me lose 10 pounds? It has everything (laughs) with helping you lose 10 pounds, everything everything, hormones, chemicals, brain chemistry, brain gut. Like I, like we could nerd out, like just trust that when you are in a state and I'm not even saying happy all the time, because that's not realistic. Okay. If you were content 
joyful, grateful, like calm, present. Those emotions are going to make your body really happy and just allow you to function internally better. Um, and you will be surprised how that manifests, whether that be how your genes fit or how you sleep or how you digest food or how you look in the mirror, or it's really, it's really amazing to see that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like a broken record. It's, you know, half, half of the content I'm talking about, you know, your mindset directly informs the results that you're going to get on that scale until we, we start to switch that and start to dig on the inside. You know, you're talking about, um, you know, some of the things that these, these people are achieving, everything that, that I do is from, from the inside out, which, you know, I directly realize triggers folks and frustrates folks when, you know, they just, just want to lose the weight, but it's everything, everything yeah. from the inside. I mean, that's just with anything, right? If you want a successful business, it's not go to the bank, get a loan, <laughs> and then there's people yeah. knocking on the door. If you want a healthy body, it's not you know, going to the gym one time. If you want a healthy relationship, it's not getting engaged, buying a house and having a kid. It, like everything worthwhile takes work. Yeah. 100%. That's why it's worth it. <laughs> That's why that is, yeah, that is so why it's worth it. Um, you also mentioned, you know, a lot of the clientele that you work with are, are dealing um, or, you know, your history as a therapy are dealing with re- lasting impacts of trauma. And so Jess doesn't know that, but most of you listeners know that my background is in, in trauma-informed yoga. So I'm very much involved in, in the research and it's specifically looking at how that influences autoimmunity, such as Hashimoto's, PCOS, and you know, other things. What do you what do you see? Because I I, I see in my own clients um, you know, the misunderstanding of what trauma actually is and how it's actually influencing not only when it happens, but their day-to-day lives and ultimately their outcomes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Pandora's box. Let me say something. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause my background as a therapist was I specialized in trauma and I've like published research and I actually published some research on trauma-informed yoga too. So awesome. this should be fun. Yeah. This is um, fun. Okay. So in The simplest way I could describe it, trauma is something that you experience and or don't experience that your nervous system isn't prepared for. So that could be an act of violation, which is what people typically kind of associate with trauma, you know, sexual abuse, domestic violence, car accident, et cetera. But then there's also acts of omission, which are emotional neglect, Um, you know, and not having an attuned parent present while you're, you know, um, an infant. And so both of those things are abnormal to the human psyche and nervous system, and it it creates a a response, right? Um, So what trauma is, it's a normal reaction to an abnormal event. And so what those reactions are, could be internal or external. So they could be your stereotypical hypervigilance or, um, you know, avoidance, disassociation, numbing, depression, panic, or they could be more subtle things like um, devaluing relationships, not feeling safe, uh, an anxious attachment style, um, you know, difficulty digesting food, uh, right? So it's, 
there's no one size fits all in terms of how the trauma symptom manifests itself. And also not everyone who experiences trauma experiences it the same way. Like you might experience the same event that I do. You might have a traumatic response. I might not. You might develop PTSD. I might not. You might develop PTSD and not seek support and have it for a really long time. I might develop it, seek support, and I'm good in six months. Like there is, it's a very complex and unfortunately um, pervasive piece um, that is plaguing our society today. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a theory and obviously it's not been around long enough to really, you know, for them, there to be that much research to support it. But, you know, from my, my lens, there's of course, Hashimoto's and, and, and even PCOS is something that we really don't see a whole lot of diagnosis until, you know, thirties and things like that. However, understanding how trauma influences your nervous system and how your nervous system is so influential in immunity and creating this autoimmune response. I have this theory that post COVID that this is going to get more and more prevalent, um, because we, we haven't had the opportunity to process what a pandemic has actually done, especially if you're, you know, a woman and a mother that was asked all of a sudden to work from home and teach kids too. Yeah. Um, I would agree to a certain extent with your theory. Um, if, if you were going to do research, I would be very intrigued and curious to see <laughs> the results because Again, trauma, what it does is it impacts the fear center of our brain, which is the amygdala, and it shuts down communication between that and the prefrontal cortex, which is basically the most evolved portion of the brain. It helps us make decisions, problem solve, be present, engage, be responsible, focus, whatever, right? But when you're operating out of that fear center, you're releasing all these chemicals and hormones that are activating a part of the nervous system, which is going to put your body like at a heightened state. And if you do that chronically, your body breaks down. Mm -hmm. And by definition, think about it, autoimmune. Like, of, of course, right. you know, that things are going to wreak havoc. Like you could be the most amazing, well-trained runner in the world, but even marathon runners need rest days. Right. And if you mentally and emotionally do not give your body time to rest, things will begin to happen. Yeah. 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 I think it's such a, you know, again, I'm a lot of the women that, that I work with, I would also consider to be high achieving. And so I, I think, and I don't know if this is your experience with your women, but there's so many of them that I, I see that are essentially turning off, you know, feelings and emotions and, and essentially suppressing trauma responses in order to continue showing up in the capacity that they're showing up. Um, you know, it's a hustle and grind culture, especially, especially with moms. Like I still have to get up and get my kids ready for school and go to work and do all these things. And so it just continues to, to suppress and suppress and suppress until everything starts, starts to break down. Do you see that showing up with your clientele? hundred percent. One of my favorite quotes that I tell clients is make a decision while you still have a choice before it becomes a crisis. Right. Yeah. Because I promise you, like 
I can help you when you're in a crisis, but it's gonna take a lot longer and it's not gonna feel as good. So like, let's intervene now before it gets back. Cause it, it, it will only get worse. I mean, another analogy that I use is it's funny cause it's the summertime, but you know, those like blow up pool balls are clear with yeah. like, rainbow stripes, right? I don't know if you've ever like try to push them under the surface. Like sometimes kids try to like, sit on them or right, it's fun. It's like, oh yeah, keep the ball under the surface, right? The second though, you relieve pressure it comes up yeah. with a vengeance, right? And that's what happens with emotions, right? Um, when we suppress them, they gain energy and momentum and they become memorized, right? right. And um, when we let our foot off the pedal, whether that be because we're going to sleep or we're going to a yoga class or we're trying to have sex or we're trying to be present with a friend, they come up, right? And it's a lot harder to manage that versus if we just let the ball float around in the pool and we call it what it is, mm -hmm. right? Eventually it floats over into the corner and minds its own business. Right. Right. So I think sometimes we fear that yeah. up oh, to the surface yeah. and the flooding, but one, a lot of those fears are irrational because emotions have a shelf life of like two to 20 minutes, right? Yeah chemically, yeah. like if you actively cope when you have a difficult emotion within two to 20 minutes, you'll be good. Don't worry. It's not going to ruin your life. Right. I think people are like, I don't have time for that. I have a meeting in 10 minutes. That's 10 minutes that you could probably get over the emotion versus 10 minutes of fueling the emotion. Um, you know, and then the other thing is sometimes if we can just identify emotion and name it, even mm -hmm. just that, I think it's called like emotional equanimity or something like that. Even just that practice physiologically is soothing. Yeah. And it calms us down. And so I think people just fear irrationally fear this, that the emotions are going to hijack them. And that's not what happens. Well, I, I think to a certain extent, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when we continue to fight. And so this is a conversation that I have with my clients on a daily basis regarding emotional eating, because they'll wind up, you know, emotionally eat to in, in an effort to numb the actual emotion rather than feeling it and sitting with it. And then we go down the, the guilt and the shame tunnel. And it's just like this dark, dark place where we keep tumbling down versus taking that two to 20 minutes where we can just sit and be uncomfortable, say, you know, this is coming up, quit making ourselves wrong for feeling. And then we're much less likely to engage in self-destructive behavior versus fighting against it. And it's, 100%. I mean, it's, yeah, it just keeps going again and again. But another interesting thing that you're saying with the, with the ball analogy, and this is something that I, I speak about all the time, like talking about our metabolism, because our metabolism is, is our hormones. And, and all of this is influencing our hormones is that we as human beings spend so much energy, so much effort, so much time fighting our bodies rather than letting that pool ball float and just kind of, you know, watching it and seeing what happens. And it's, you know, it's a simple answer. People tell me all the time, they're like, what's the secret sauce? And to, to me, like getting my hormones under control, is it, you know, this uh, $800 worth of supplements a month? No, it's just to quit fighting your body. That's, that's the secret sauce. Quit fighting. Yeah. Our body has so much wisdom. It's interesting. This is kind of unrelated, but it is, if you kind of like listen for the underlining point, there's this study that this detective did on women survivors of attack. 
Mm -hmm. And the sample size is obviously women who survived the attack because unfortunately the women who were attacked and, and did not participate were, were murdered. And so the reason I share that is because what was super interesting about the study is 100% of the sample size, every single woman said that they physically felt uncomfortable moments before the attack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I share that is to kind of bring home the point that our body has a lot of wisdom and a lot of times because of our culture and conditioning and things like, and what's valued is that our body will know first, but cognitively we will rationalize, justify, yep. create confusion and or ignore and suppress because we don't understand it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Speaking so my language. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's actually one creating awareness that our body is a valuable piece to our health, our, our, and not just physically, but it speaks to us. And, and so creating awareness that that happens, learning to speak the language and also just learning to value it, giving right. it a seat at the table where it's like, okay, gut, like, um, your opinion is just as valuable as my brains, because if I really think about it, my brain is actually just a conditioned, yeah. <laughs> In any way, you know, you're probably more unbiased and realistic and, and, and serving to me versus this like intellect that I've curated over my lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, we could go on about the way, the way our body communicates like all day. That is, that is, uh, I guess the hill I'll die on is, you know, stop, stop ignoring and, and listening. And I don't know, I mean, I'm sure it is because I can just see like your, your clientele looking for the next, um, seminar or book or course or whatever, that's gonna, that's gonna help them in the same way in the diet industry, you know, we are, our body is telling us exactly what it needs, exactly what it wants, exactly what's going to support it. And then we're up here going by, you know, maybe this detox is going to work better or, you know, all this stuff trying to question, the communication that we're getting and fight against it. And then we just continue to just throw gasoline on the fire over yeah. and over and over again. And it's just, it's and sad. Also we need to acknowledge too, that what works for one person isn't going to work for another. Oh yeah. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that is okay. Like what works for my best friend might may or may not work for me. It doesn't mean I'm doing it wrong or I need to work harder. I just need to try something exactly. different. And also like, like you were talking about before, Natalie, like each individual human is a unique, complex combination of environment, psychology, biology, history, culture, like genetics. You and me could literally come from the same exact mother and father, eat the same exact food, do the same exact workout and look completely different in a bikini. Yeah. Yep. And that's okay. And, and that's okay. That's okay. Now that's a really, that, that statement of that's okay. is very simple, very hard to get to, but totally possible and really liberating. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a practice, right? It, it takes work. I won't, I won't I'll sit here and pretend that I'm, I'm in that place in that zone every single minute of every single day. I'm not a unicorn. I tell my people all the time. I'm like, there's plenty of times when I see other coaches and I'm like, how did you get that body? <laughs> 
<laughs> and then, you know, it's like, come back home, you know, there's, there's difference. And, you know, the other big thing is, is your personal preferences and your, your lifestyle matter and, and what you want for, for your life. You know, some, your, your priorities can ebb and flow and shift and that's, that's a-okay. Yeah. I have some friends in the um, bodybuilding space, um, which I know, I I feel like I just said a bad word, but um, (laughs) in the bodybuilding space, and we have really interesting conversations because, you know, especially now with it being the summer, it was this 4th of July day weekend, right? And, you know, maybe I embarked engaged in some festivities and so you know I'm sitting there I'm drinking I'm eating whatever and you know having a good time staying up late and and my friends who are prepping are yeah you know having a very different experience and I literally thought to myself I'm like wow like I'm having a moment of insecurity because I'm sitting next to this girl who looks per whatever standard I'm you know (laughs) judging her based off of amazing in her bathing suit and I look like whatever and I caught myself where I'm like, one, um, that's again, genetics, biology, she worked for that. And then two, I am not wanting or willing to do what it takes to to have that. that. Okay. Yeah. Not worth it to me. My values are freedom, fun, connection, experiences. There you go. And that is not, not for me. No, thank you. I will enjoy my hamburger and like really embrace the experience with my friends right now. Cause I don't have to leave early. Cause I, right. So I think it's an interesting thing to kind of check into where it's like, okay, what do you want? What is it going to take to get there? And is, is that something you're willing and even wanting to do? And it's, I mean, it's interesting because I talk, I talk all the time about, you know, is this, is this something you really value? And I have my clients create do don't list and like, you know, what's on, what's on your don't as far as how you want to feel, how you want to experience life and what's on your do list. Um, And so it's, it's always, you know, for me, that's how how I measure everything up. It's funny. Cause I have got many, many friends that are in the in middle of bodybuilding preps. Why you'd want to prep in the summer. I cannot even fathom. And I've looked at them so many times to be like, gosh, I would love to challenge my body just once. And we were at an event at the beginning of June and I watched them like bring in their coolers with all their just absolutely gross looking food. And I was like, Oh no, I like to eat way too much for that. I can't, can't do it. That's on that's yeah. on my don't list. That's on my don't yeah. list. <laughs> So before we, uh, we wrap up, cause I know we're both, both long-winded and I could, there's just like so many things and I'm like, Oh, we could go in this direction. But, um, so taking your background from trauma informed therapy and, and doing all this research, how does that integrate into your coaching today? I feel like I operate as a coach, but that there's like a therapist behind me with their hand on my shoulder, (laughs) just checking in and being like, is there something more here? Check in, tune in, analyze. Um, I just feel like that skill set is a big service to the work that I'm doing now that is more behavioral and solution focused and a little quicker and and people I'm not as worried that they're at risk right like so I'm not asking those deeper questions because that's not the intention of our work together but I just feel like there's two of us at all points working with a client they're seeing me but behind me there's just another set of eyes that's constantly scanning for is there something more here would there be something more appropriate um and 
you know, is there skill or intervention that might be better suited for this client in this moment? Um, so I think that, I think it just kind of informs my coaching and my framework and the manner in which I engage with clients and also just my process and the way that they experience the coaching relationship. Um, I think it's a really beautiful blend. I think my clients really enjoy it and they get great results as, as you know, a function of that. Um, I don't think it's necessary because again, coaching is its own thing, right? It's almost like I could be a great football player and crush it and only train for football. But if I run cross country or soccer in the off season, it's only going to help me as an athlete overall as a football player. And that's how I kind of view it. It's like I'm operating as a coach, but you know, in, in the off season, I got some other stuff going for me that I bring in to the relationship. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so wrapping up the episode, I always ask guests if there's one nugget piece of wisdom or just insight that you would just like to leave people with, or, you know, mic drop, uh, whatever you want that to look like, what would that be? Hmm. Oh, so many things. Just choose one. Let's say, you can choose um, well, let's say focus on what we've been talking about, like high achieving women, um, run your own race. And I know that's advice that you've probably had before, but at the end of the day, if you are chasing someone else's carrot, you're never going to get it. So yeah. take a moment to pause and acknowledge what race are you in? Why do you want to stay in? You can just peace out, go to another track. You could take a break, right? You yeah. can change, you can yeah. change, you can, you can change the, yeah, you can change the, the finish line, right? Mm -hmm. You can bring someone along with you. You can walk it versus run it. I mean, it's, it's your race. So just run your race. You will never win someone else's. I love ever. that. I love that. Perfect. Well, tell listeners where they can find out more about you, more about your, your coaching and you have a podcast as well. Yeah. So, um, if you liked our conversation today, definitely check out the podcast. It's the unlearn to level up podcast. And, um, basically what I do is I take these big psychological concepts like this and I break them down into, okay, how do you do it? <laughs> what does it look like in practice? And I do that every single week in just 10 minutes. You can listen to it literally during your shower, walking the dog, getting the kids ready, eating breakfast, grabbing your coffee at Starbucks, right? Like super duper quick. Um, otherwise, follow me on Instagram at Jess Demarcus Coaching. Um, there's a little link in my bio with tons of freebies and goodies, including a journal and all kinds of stuff. So definitely check it out. Perfect. And we will definitely link all of that in the show notes. So if you're walking or driving, you don't need to stop and make any notes. We'll take care of that for you. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to come on here and share. This has been um, such a valuable episode and I can't wait to hear what listeners think. Me either. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. I would love to connect with you further, so you can find me on Instagram at Natalie Brooke Guevara. If you'd like more information about my coaching program, The Strong Method, you can find all the details at updogwellnessandfitness.com, as well as additional resources and free workshops and trainings. If you have a few moments, I would love it if you would take time to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. And I can't wait to connect with you again right here next week.